you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Watch Dogs episode. There should be three to Pandora's Jar and the allegory of the owl and sparrow. So we're just going to talk about Pandora's Box, that story, how it's a good allegory to uh, essentially what we're trying to call tech cynicism. So applying the some of the ideas of modern and old cynicism to just the technology, technology itself and technological progress. So uh, I'm going to start with the, um, the story. So I'm pretty sure most people know about Pandora's Box. Even, I imagine even in other other even eastern countries it's popularized right i'm not sure how well they know it but at least they've heard of it yeah because it's a very simple story i think and i think it's a powerful story just to that relates a lot to what we're talking about the unforeseen circumstances anyway so i'm gonna explain it to people who don't know just in case i mean if there's somebody who's out there okay in greek mythology the first woman according to he's has Hesiod's Thenagi, after Prometheus, a fire god and a divine trickster, had stolen fire from heaven and bestowed it upon mortals. Zeus, the king of gods, determined to counteract this blessing. He accordingly commissioned Hephaestus, a god of fire and patron of craftsmen, to fashion a woman out of earth upon whom the gods bestowed their choicest gifts. In Hesiod's works and days, Pandora had a jar containing all manner of misery and evil. Zeus sent her Epimethus? Epimethus? I don't know. How do you say that? Epimetheus? Epimetheus? Epimetheus. That sounds better. Epimetheus, who forgot the warning of his brother Prometheus and made Pandora his wife. She afterward opened the jar from which evils flew out all over the earth. Hope alone remained inside, the lid having been shut before... She could escape. In, in a later story, the jar could contain not evils but blessings, which would not, which would have been preserved for the human race had they not have been lost through the opening of the jar out of curiosity. Pandora's jar became a box in the 16th century when the Renaissance humanist Erasmus either mistranslated the Greek or confused the vessel with the box in the story of Cupid and Psyche. From this story has grown the idiom to open a Pandora's box, meaning to do or start something that will cause many unforeseen problems. A modern, more uh, vernacular equivalent is opening a can of worms. But you know what? I think Pandora's box or jar just sounds, I don't know, more quaint. And I've heard it more. I've heard it more too. Can of worms. Sometimes, yeah. Because when you hear a can of worms, I think of something else. It doesn't seem as serious. It doesn't seem as serious in Pandora's box. I think the story is it's anything unforeseen, meaning it could be good and could be bad, whereas the can of, of worms, is, it's always bad, you know? I would say for Pandora's jar, 
at least in modern interpretation, it seems to always be connected to somewhat negative. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with something negative, something positive can come up as well, you know, flipping the, um, making a bad situation a good situation. That that was some of the interpretations of people in the Renaissance, how to turn this into a, a good situation. Yeah. The, the, the third thing that it would seem most similar to is a present which seems valuable, but which in reality is a curse. And like I said, there's a lot of interpretations by philosophers, poets, poets and artists, but the whole point of this story, like many stories, is to show that the mythology plays a role in teaching a point or a morale. So this brings me to the next story, which is somewhat similar, actually, but this is, I think this is a modern al- uh, allegory. I think it was created by Nick Bostrom. So he's a teacher at Oxford. He's a, um, an AI researcher. Very good book called Superintelligence. All right, so let's talk about the fable of the sparrows. The unfinished fable of the sparrows. It was the nest-building season, but after days of long, hard work, the sparrows sat in the gl- evening glow, relaxing and chirping away. We are all so small and weak. Imagine how life would be if we had an owl that could help build us our nests. Yes, said another, and we could use it to look after our elder- elderly and our young. It could give us advice and keep an eye out for the neighborhood cat added a third. Then, past us, the elder bird spoke. Let us send the scouts in all directions and try to find the, an abandoned owlet somewhere. Or maybe an egg. Or crow chick might also do. Or a baby weasel. This could be the best thing that could ever happen to us, at least since the opening of the pavilion of unlimited grain in, in yonder backyard. The flock was exhilarated, and sparrows everywhere started chirping all at the top of their lungs. Only shrunk... <laughs> this is a funny name. Shrunk fickle. A one-eyed sparrow, with a, fr- a fruitful temperament, was unconvinced of the wisdom of the endeavor. He's the cynic. Quoth he, this will surely be our undoing. Should we not give some th- thought to the art of owl domestication and owl taming first, before we bring such a creature into our ma- midst? Taming an owl sounds like an exceedingly difficult thing to do. It will be enough to find an owl egg. So let us start there. After we have succeeded in raising an owl, then we can think about taking on this other challenge, replied Pastus. There is a flaw in that plan, squeaked Scronfinkel, uh, but his protests were in vain as the flock had already lifted off to start implementing the directive sent out by Pastus. Just two or three sparrows remained behind. Together they began to try to work out how owls might be tamed or domesticated. They soon realized Pastus had been right. This was not an exceedingly difficult challenge, especially in the absence of an actual owl to practice on. Nevertheless, they pressed on as best as they could, constantly fearing that the flock might return with an owl egg before a solution to the con- to the control problem had been found. So, I'm just curious what like when you hear this story, what do you think like? What are, what are the ideas you get when you hear this story? I get why they call it unfinished, because <laughs> it kind of leaves it open to interpretation. It could have gone well, it could have gone poorly. We don't know exactly. And also the fact I'm showing you this without you having the context of where where this comes from. This was like the opening pages to the um, artificial intelligence book, and obviously his um, Nick Bostrom's whole point of this is to show you that. Artificial intelligence is very similar to Pandora's box, right? You know, we want to put all our eggs in one basket and hope for the best, and, and we're going to think it's going to solve all our problems. 
and that's the idea, I guess, of the the fable of the sparrows, right? They're putting all their hopes and dreams into the the egg or the owl, with the un without knowing the unintended consequences of finding the owl. You know, for all we know, what's the owl gonna do when, when you know, he can't? I mean, you can tame, you can try to tame an owl, but you know, what if he you know scratches you and kills you in an accident, right? Especially if you're a sparrow. It realizes it's more powerful. Or it realizes it's more powerful. Starts eating. Exactly. So that's the whole point. Um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but oftentimes utopias become dystopian. So, I mean, what are the parallels? Uh, what are the main ideas from both these stories? The first story has to do with curiosity. And I think the, ses- the second one has to do with somewhat of a necess- necessity. I mean, they want it because, you know, to fix problems, they have to care for the young and the old and things of that sort. So the first one is i guess more innocent you know you're just curious right mm-hmm. uh what's that quote the um the curious cat curiosity killed the cat curiosity killed the, ta- the cat yep so that's the way i see it this one's more i guess kind of greed because it seemed like they're well off yeah it's just not necessarily mm-hmm. a necessity for them but they, they look yeah. at it as something that could uh improve their lives as a whole without thinking through, yeah, the potential consequences. And yet oftentimes technological advances are either curiosity, the scientific method, or necessity, uh, or a mix of both. There's also accidents as well. So AI is Pandora's box, but it's also trying to tame and raise the owl at the same time. So that's the example why I think it's characteristic and and it's good to use this story, the uh, fable of the sparrows, to... Um, teach the morale of you know we don't understand artificial intelligence so well. We're yeah, I think you can also look at. I mean, there's a lot of movies. Well, out I there. Th- well, I think also it's not it's not that we don't understand artificial intelligence. I think the biggest problem is we don't understand the unintended consequences of it. You know, for example, I mean, there's like this whole Netflix series that's going to come out um next week, end of March. Um, it's called Bias and Algorithms. So I was hearing that I'll. You know, AI has its biases and it makes mistakes. You know, the um, re, you know, after the Capitol riot that happened in January, um, facial recognition software has gone up tremendously after it. I think like twenty six percent, from what I understand. And facial recognition is, it has its, You know, you can make a mistake. You can falsely convict someone, and, and that's a big problem with due process. So there's a conflict of interest. You know, with the legal system, the the that we have, and these techno- these disrupt not just technology in, gen- in general, but disruptive innovation, just things that are constantly changing that we don't understand. A good example is Facebook, right? We never thought it was gonna, you know, exa- uh, embolden the narcissistic culture and individual and the hyper individualism that exists in in Western society. You know, so yeah. Until before we reach the point where artificial artificial intelligence. Is beyond us. <laughs> yeah, a g- artificial super intelligence. And by the way, when this book is not just about artificial general intelligence, the book is called super intelligence. So, you know, referring to the singularity to the point where artificial intelligence surpasses humans, right? Yeah. Because that's the uh, when people talk about AI, oftentimes they're not talking about you know the modern day, you know, regular AI. Because we use AI all the time. You know, the stock market uses it. Um, 
there's different uh, software programs that use AI in certain ways, you know. We imagine it pretty much acting independently. Yeah, we're talking about ASI, artificial super intelligence, and that's what it refers to. That is taming the owl. That is opening Pandora's box at the same time, or a jar. It's both. And it still can be bad enough in the meantime because right now the decisions being put behind the training in AI are made by normal people. So Yeah, and I think in the social dilemma they were talking about this. Uh, um, so there's always the issue of morality. I think, and I forgot which, yeah, yeah, which e- car it was, but for like e- self-driving uh-huh. cars. Yeah, self-driving they're, cars. They're programmed to protect the passengers no matter what. So given a situation where you're in a crowd, it'll do what it has to do to protect the driver in the car and not necessarily if there's like children or uh, this, whatever. On that the reminds me exactly of that movie, um, iRobot. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I said. There's a lot of movies out there. Exactly. Like, I, and then I, go, do you remember that the scene in iRobot where um, he... Um, oh, he gets pissed off well, because he, he, he... Yeah, the robot saves him and instead the, of the little girl. And he's yeah. like, why did you save me? He's like, you had a higher percentage of, of living. Yeah, they'll make decisions based on those margins rather than other factors that people would normally take into consideration. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm going to give another example of tech that is, you know, you know, that's the thing about scientism, where you p- value science's science as the foundational pillar to epistemological values, meaning like the nature of of um, of knowledge, right? You're you're putting it on a pedestal rather than many things. There's a philosophical, theological. Not other other different um, areas where you can gauge certain things, it, different types of knowledge, and people usually put science over uh, on it overall. And you know, I consider myself scientifically minded. You know, I think I'm a I'm a student of science, so I could see why. You know, but you know, when you when you get older, you know, it's not so black and black and white anymore. You're you're understanding that human humans don't work that way. Humans work in different dimensions of emotion they use logic but they use logic to justify their emotions does that make sense and there's people don't i guess people they maybe the engineers on their part they see it they see humans just as i mean they calculate humans into and and they um pigeonhole them does that i I don't know what i'm going well they're going for like the general trend of humanity but not everyone fits into yeah that mm-hmm. so they're going trying to like maximize what if it's like profit probably profit. You're trying to maximize profits so you're trying to target mm-hmm. the largest group of as possible without losing your message and that point you were talking about where it's just somebody one i mean a human being who's making those decisions for you i mean the and the social dilemma the yeah, guy and w- sometimes they're they're just wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then this, even the, yeah. And in the social d- dilemma, they were talking about this. They were saying that you have a 22, 24-year-old engineer who's essentially um, not controlling your life, but he's making big decisions in the way this data and this technology is, is going to affect mm-hmm. you. Because it's still affecting you. Even if it's wrong, yeah. it doesn't. It's Pandora's box. It's already out. There's no real pulling it back. Yeah, it's out they, there. They made the evils of the world have. And yeah, a large left. part they'll never like fully admit to it. Some people via that uh, documentary, Social Network, right? Social, no, um, social dilemma. Social dilemma on yeah, on yeah, Netflix. On Netflix, uh, but yeah, a lot of people who left later came out to denounce it. But 
the companies are so powerful at this point. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, let me give the last example of, you know, the road to good intentions. No, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's the way I see technology sometimes. You know, technology is really good. It's important, right? It makes humans, what it, it makes us human, you know? You know, humans are the dominant species on the planet because uh, we, we're, a, we're able to use tools. So uh, we it's always been a part of us. So I'm not going to... And that's why the the uh, eventually you know the tech the technology enthusiasm spectrum that's that's why I bring it up because I'm not so black and white on this issue. I think technology is important, but when technology you know when to when it's no longer a tool and the tool you know controls you, it's not a tool anymore. And that's what that guy was saying in the social dilemma. That's when the tool is no longer a tool, right? Because the tool is using you, and that's what it is. It's using our data. It's profiting off of it. It's manipulating our behavior indirectly. That is not no longer a tool. Mm-hmm. It is controlling you. Yeah, and he also said if something's free, <laughs> it doesn't it's mean not it's free. free. Yeah, it exactly. Means you're the product. It means you're the product. Exactly. So let me let me give give an example of the in, unintended consequences of Zyklon B or hydrocyanic acid, also called Cyclone B, was the trade name of a cyanide-based pesticide invested in, invented in Germany in the early 1920s. Bruno Tesch, one of the inventors of Zyklon B, played an essential role in the misuse of the chemical during the World, World War II. It was originally invented as a cyanide-based pesticide, and it was used for pest control in agricultural fields and factories, but the Nazis discovered through exper- experimentation the gas could be used for, to kill humans. During the killing process, prisoners at Auschwitz and other killing centers were forced into airtight chambers that had been disguised by the Nazis to look like shower rooms. Once the chamber was full, the doors were screwed shut and, the, and solid pellets of Zyklon B were dropped into the chambers through the, the vents in the side walls. Upon being breathed in, the vapors, vapors combined with the red blood cells depriving the, the body of vital oxygen, causing unconsciousness and the death through the oxygen starvation. Those inside died within 20 minutes. So look at that. Zyklon B. Just a pesticide. That is the unintended consequences of... And that's what I mean. I don't think AI is a problem itself. As I said, when it's used as a tool, it's fine. But you have to... I mean, I think AI is a special case where it has the potential to be a problem and no, it's, it definitely is the biggest potential because there's no you know there's a, another book called the final invention have you and that's a good book about ai as well you know they call it the final invention because once we create ai you know there's the idea that we're going to rely on it to solve all our problems just like the sparrows wanted to rely on the owl right what happens and have you ever heard of the the master slave uh dynamic it's by Hegel. He hypothesized this. So he was saying that you know the the some there's a uh, a certain point where the ma- the the master he's the master of the slave because he he's above them above him and he has more knowledge right with more knowledge you have um, power with power you can control right and the slave at a certain point once he starts learning and accumulating knowledge he starts accumulating power and when he has power he can become the master right because he it's just kind of like he surpasses the master by by knowing more about whatever he's being taught about 
And that's the way people see AI, you yeah, know, surpassing the master, I the mean, sing the singularity. That's why slave masters would prevent slaves from like learning how to read. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Things like that. And also the 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 Spartans when they had slaves, the the helots, they would not let them exercise. From what I understand, they would not let them go to gymnasiums, because you know what happens if you have a bunch of slaves that are working out and getting stronger, right? When you strengthen the mind, the temple. Your body's your temple, you know. You become more confident. You become stronger. You can fight back. So obviously, it's it's to their advantage to do that. It's to your advantage to weaken your opponent, to tame them, to domesticate them, to um, make them weaker, mm -hmm. more submissive, more docile, like a sheep. So that's essentially the whole point of this um, episode. You know, you have Pandora's box. You have the 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 owl. The owl. And you have the unintended consequences of both of them. That's the the parallel between both stories. You know, one is driven by curiosity, the other one, other one is driven by necessity. But the, at the end of the day, they both have unintended consequences, right? You're you're curious, you want to open Pandora's jar, you don't know what's going to come out. You know, and then if you want to tame this owl or the egg, you don't know what's going to end up happening. They're both open ended, and in, in, in a way, you don't know what's What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. What kind of evils will come out, right? For all we know, the most people who research AI are p pretty optimistic. They're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great because um, it's going to be like the fifth industrial revolution. We're going to be able, be able able to... It just sounds very utopian. That those, it'll yes. solve all our problems. All the problems we have will be solved by it. You know, water, food, inventions. We don't have to work anymore. You know, that's that's the idea. But like I said, you know, oftentimes utopias become dystopian and the road to hell is paid with good intentions and there are unintended consequences that are uncontrollable once you go down this path. So they're not seeing it from the ethical point. They're seeing it from a scientific standpoint. They're thinking about reaping the rewards, you know, taming the owl. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm going to end it. Parabellum? Parabellum.